When your money's on the line, choose a trusted sportsbook that gives you tools to win, like my bookie. And my bookie doesn't matter if your team's up or down. You can easily cash out or bet the game live to come out on the winning side. Use my bookie for daily odds boost, same game parlays. I like teasers. And take advantage of the huge prize pool contest. Plus, my bookie currently has a no strings attached cash bonus that lets you deposit, withdraw, Quick, carries a one-time rollover, can't find that anywhere else. Just use promo code 49ers, 49ERS, or scan the QR code on this video right next to my face here to claim your own cash deposit bonus now. That's promo code 49ers. So try my money uh, money bag. Uh, you basically roll the dice, and it picks a team and gives you extraordinary extraordinary odds on who's going to win the Super Bowl. Um, lots of fun options there, so bet anything, anytime, anywhere, and I do mean anywhere, wherever you are, you can bet with my bookie. Just make sure you use the promo code 49ERS, and let's go. Let's make some money together. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. You're listening to the 49 Carrots Podcast, a 49ers goldmine production with Stephanie Sanchez. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the 49 Carrots Podcast. I'm your host, Steph. It is Wednesday, November 15th. The 49ers are back to their winning ways. We are back to feeling great. And there's no one else I'd rather be talking to this morning than John Chapman, Wayne Breezy. How are you guys doing today? Great. <laughs> <laughs> Not the Tony the Tiger. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. We're halfway through November, and we're, like, flying through it. October was, like, quicksand. Good. I thank mean, gosh, because yeah, I, I didn't want another October game. And I'm yeah. so glad we got to November <laughs> quick, fast, in a hurry. Oh, my gosh. Thanksgiving is next week. Wow. Yeah. I know. November is flying. I, I, I can't believe it. It's it's insane. But, uh, yeah, I mean – I'm I'm glad that it's November because again, you know, the 49ers seem to always get back to their winning ways in November. And they looked like the 49ers from weeks one through five again. And uh to get back to that, like there were a lot of changes that the 49ers made this week on both sides of the ball, uh coming out of the bye that made this dominant win against the Jags possible. But I do want to start with the offense because I think they certainly got a boost from two guys that I I think like they really missed during the losing streak. We talked about them before Trent Williams and Debo Samuel uh, Debo had 59 total scrimmage yards, a touchdown through the ground. And now Trent, while he wasn't hundred percent by any means, I believe he said he was around like 70% after the game. Luckily didn't um, re-injure anything or re-aggravate anything. He's fine. But I think just the impact of both of those guys on offense were felt in a number of ways, and in particular for the run game. And I want to show you guys Christian McCaffrey's numbers from the last four games, and you'll see why why I think so, right? So during the losing streak, week six through eight, you know, you'll see 3.9 yards per attempt, 3.1, 4.5. 4.5 isn't bad, but he was he also just ran for 54 yards in that game against Cincy in week eight. Now you look at what he was able to do against Jacksonville on 16 carries, uh, 95 yards, 5.9 yards per attempt. So that's just one example, right, of the impact of both of these guys. But did you guys, you know, kind of get that same sense? Yeah, I you know, I've I've been saying it for all along like you know, the moment those guys got injured in the Cleveland Browns game, uh it just changed the way that the offense was going to, you know, be fluid. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, when you take away the best 
the best left tackle, offensive lineman, hell, the best player in football when he's not playing to his potential due to injury. You know, and in though although Trent Williams tried to finish out that game in Cleveland, he just wasn't healthy. Uh, and it was just it was tough to run. And so, you know, the Niners like to run to that left side and then, you know, get to the right side and and then pop some big plays, big explosive plays up to the middle. And they just weren't able to do so. And so when you get back to Debo, which I feel like a lot of people still isn't giving him tons of credit. When you get back to Debo, Debo to me is just that key piece of the 49ers offense to make it tick. Listen, I'm doing the show today and I'm going to show you exactly why I mean that, but you're going to get the 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 exclusive if it's not if Debo's not on this field, the 49ers struggle to win. I will put it I I will leave it at that. You know, and so with Debo being on the field, it doesn't matter if he had 59 scrimmage yards or one scrimmage yard or 159 scrimmage yards. Debo on the field allows the offense to be fluid. It allows it to open up. He spreads the offense out from left to right. We talked about, you know, the horizontal game from Debo Samuel. And I'm just so glad he's back, and I'm I'm more glad that he's healthy. And I think going forward, you're going to continue to see Brock Purdy's numbers go up, uh, Brandon Ayuk's numbers go up, Christian McCaffrey's numbers go up. Everybody's numbers go up when Debo's uh, a factor out there on the football field. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my favorite thing was the very first play. Anytime Debo and CMC are in the backfield together, I just like I start giggling. I'm just like, oh, this is wonderful. And they do this little orbit motion where Debo goes behind CMC out into the flats. And on the very first play, three defenders, two linebackers and a safety drift towards Debo. CMC gets a nice run up the middle. And all those things kept going, kept going, kept going until the defense started to soften up on Debo motions. And then what does Kyle do? He calls a delayed kind of reverse orbit that they have overcompensated for the entire first half. And then the second half, they relaxed on it once and Kyle hit him with it with a late one and boom, you got the touchdown. So Debo just weapon X him and CMC. It's two of those guys at the same time. It's weird as hell. And then with Trent, you could talk about the pressures he allowed at 75%. I don't give a damn. That dude is the best run blocking offensive lineman in the NFL. He's the best. And yeah. in space better than anybody. He moves in space better than a lot of tight ends do. I remember when he came out of OU and he ran like a four eight. I think it was for like forty yard dash. Like dude, yeah. But the ten yard split was one seven one. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that like that's the difference, right? Four eight is fast for a big guy, but one seven yeah. and a ten yard split. You know, that's the key. You know, Kyle likes those ten yard splits. Yeah, well yeah, said. He'd be he'd be moving out there. And another thing about Debo <laughs> is like he's a great blocker himself, right? Oh, like man, in I, one of those. Hold up! I didn't. Play. I I I I will. I I need to eat crow because what you're about to say is the truth. But I thought Debo was the worst blocking wide receiver on the team, and now you're about That's to tell fair. me why I'm wrong. No, because you you are about to explain it. He blocked <laughs> in this game. He blocked. It's fair, you know, because that's fair to say, though, Wayne, because there's so many great blockers on this team. But I I was just looking at one of the clips that, that Baldy posted, and I was just sharing it a bit ago, and I saw, like, you know, Debo blocking for a Christian McCaffrey run that helped him, like, you know, scoop for a little extra yards, right? So, um, yeah, maybe it was just a, a one-game thing. But, again, like, just his – both of those guys' presence makes a huge difference. So Debo, Trent, it's good to have you guys back. But I do want to give some flowers to the guy that filled in Trent Williams' place and the guy that is currently filling in for Aaron Banks, who is out for the next few weeks. Jalen Moore started two games in Trent Williams' absence, and I thought he played admirably. Three pressures, two hurries, one quarterback hit given up total within those two games. No penalties. And John Feliciano played 62 snaps on Sunday, gave up just one pressure, one hurry, no sacks, no penalties. And right now, it's important to note that Cold McKivitz uh, is day-to-day with an ankle injury. So he hasn't been the strongest link on this offensive line either. So I do want to point that out. And... Uh, If you look at the numbers from Sunday's game, Trent Williams gave up four pressures, but remember, he was operating at 70%. When he's hurt, you do see some games like this from Trent, 
but we also talked about the impact he has on the run game, and it's a positive impact. Colton McKivitz, he didn't have an excuse for giving up four pressures, and we do see this from Colton McKivitz. Uh, you He's know, playing too high. Yeah, we've seen this several weeks on the season for McKivitz. So I, I want to ask you guys, well, before I do, I, I did have some quotes um, from Kyle because he was asked about uh, Jalen Moore potentially moving to the right side if he needs to start, if Colton McKivitz can't go on Sunday, right? Because McKivitz is dealing with the ankle injury. And so it sounds like it could be a possibility, at the very least, an option that the 49ers have. And Kyle said uh, that Jalen Moore does have the flexibility to move to the right side. Um, and it's a possibility for pretty much anyone to swing to the other side. Uh, there are spots that they prefer him at, but they have contingency, oh my God, contingency plans in place. You gotta love phonics, man. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, I, I mean, I think that's a that's a great sign for Jalen Moore. And on, on the other side for John Feliciano, uh, Kyle was asked about him, and he said, "quote We're going to we were going to start playing him a little bit just to get him in there, regardless because of how consistent he has been." End quote. So I think that tells you right there too, like they already had plans to work in Feliciano, and I I kind of wonder. Mm, who who they would have uh, maybe benched or or had less of out there in favor of someone like Feliciano. But I want to ask you guys, do you think either Jalen Moore and or Feliciano could be starters for this team by the end of the season and, and not even counting injuries? Because, of course, if injuries happen, one of those guys will, will need to be in there. But even without injuries, do you think we see these guys more on the field? Interesting question. Um, I don't know if, if it if breaking the continuity of the offensive line plays a factor, but I mean, if you're putting better pieces out there, I, I'm, I have a question mark about Jalen Moore at right tackle. I know he can play it, but he doesn't play it as well as he does the left tackle spot. And they did sign free agent Matt Pryor this offseason, and that's why they kept two tackles opposed to having like a swing guy. But these guys can swing. So I'm curious to know if Matt Pryor would be the guy going in or swinging around or whatever it is that they got to do. But you just saw that Spencer Burford had a really good game uh, over there at right guard. We know that Colton McKivitz is struggling at the right tackle. Now he's dealing with the injury. I'm wondering if the injury was what alluded to him giving up all those pressures. Uh, he's been up and down like a roller coaster all season long, depending on the type of edge rushers he has to face out there on the outside. Uh, but if this injury does sustain, maybe, maybe you do move. Jalen Moore is he the is he the best guy? I guess I I know his his time at right tackle hasn't been the best when we've seen him come in there to be right tackle. But when you put him on that left side and he's putting that left hand down in the dirt, he just seems to be firing on. He's progressing, which is a good thing, by the way, because if Trent Williams happens to retire, maybe we have that guy at the left tackle. Just maybe. So good thing that he's getting those reps. But let's talk about that right tackle. That's going to be the uh, you know the spot going forward. And then Aaron Banks, when he comes back, the fact that – here's the thing. John Feliciano was a guy that they sought after to go get because when they lost Daniel Brunskill, they needed a guy that could come in and that can play just the offensive line. Hey, man, can you play this, 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 this? Yeah, he can play like all four of the five positions, right? And so Feliciano, in my opinion – He's going to be that utility piece that the San Francisco 49ers get to kind of put in there. And it's good. Like, th this is why they got him, right? This is why they got him. So, hey, man, will he be a starter if there are no injuries? I don't think he's going to beat out Aaron Banks when he's healthy um, or Colton McKivitz at the right tackle when healthy. But these guys will have a role, and I like his role. I thought he was the best offensive lineman in the game this past week, and I would like to see him continue to make strides trending upwards. Yeah, yeah. Wayne knows his stuff, man. There's no doubt about it. Now, my big question is, Steph, wait, we were at trading camp. Jalen Moore never played on the right side, ever. 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 It was Matt Pryor, always. And so I, I think if if there is an injury, it's going to be Matt Pryor. The one like weird thing about Chris Forster is he does not like swing tackles. He wants a backup left and a backup right tackle. And Matt Pryor has looked really, really good. So 
I don't personally think you move Jalen Moore over there. They did that last or two years ago. And y'all remember freaking Tom Compton tore that dude. Like it was just obvious. The great Tom Compton was a hundred times better than him at the right side. Now it's been two years. Maybe that's changed, but he hasn't got many reps over there. So I think it's Matt Pryor. That's who I would want to see. And if Valenciano's going to play more, it's going to be on the right side as well. Aaron Banks next to Trent Williams is Pro Bowl level left guard. Aaron mm-hmm. Banks without Trent Williams next to him is replacement level left guard. But you Weird. know that that works. You've seen it for two years. It hasn't been an issue. Burford's been inconsistent, but coming off his best game this year. So I'm not quite sure I really want to change anything unless it is an injury. So to your question, Steph, I don't want to change anything yet. Maybe you work Valenciano in every third series like Brunskill did last year. But I'd wait for Burford to have some bumps in the road. Right now, young player, high ceiling, coming off his best game. I don't want to mess with any of that. If Banks comes back, great. Put Banks in. But... Right now, Burford, I'm just like, dude, you keep running with this. And before I give up the bike real quick, I got to say shout out to my man, Trainwreck. He's retiring from the military tomorrow. Thank you for all your service. You are the best of all of us. Eddie helped us with draft work. Just want to say nice. thank you, Trainwreck. Brian, you're the best. Awesome. Awesome. Shout out. And yeah, some, I saw some people in the comments were suggesting, okay, maybe Feliciano could play in that right guard spot. Maybe that would help McKivitz out a little bit if he has, you know, a better anchor, you know, next to him and and not Spencer Burford. But uh, we got a couple questions from Gaming Brown. Uh, shout out Gaming for the donation. He said, who's the better run blocker at right tackle, Moore or McKivitz? That's the real question we should ask ourselves as an offense that is 27th in pass attempts. Football season may be over. But the action on the floor is heating up. Whether it's tournament season or fight for home playoff court, there's no shortage of high-stakes basketball moments this time of year. Get in on the excitement with Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app, where you can turn your hoops knowledge into serious cash. And Prize Picks even offers injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players get injured. For basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player projection won't count against you, and the rest of your entry stays live. There's lots of bets. Stephen Curry, over 27.5 points. Draymond Green, will he make one three-pointer or no? Very easy things to bet. Download the app today and use code 49ers for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, download the Prize Picks app today and use code 49ers for a first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. I mean, as of now, it's McKivitz, right? He's he's been there. We haven't really seen uh, Jalen Moore play. We haven't seen him play right tackle. So as far as run blocking, it's kind of incomplete at this moment. And so McKivitz isn't good. He never was good in run blocking. He was much a much better pass protector, and that was the difference you were going to get with him uh, and Mike McGlinchey. And so. Unfortunately, it's funny because John started off the show saying he's playing too high, and I'm like, not Mike, not Mike. Don't bring Mike back. Yeah, that's the thing. Like he, he was his understudy, and all. I mean, it's it's gonna happen. It's he's gonna happen. He's reverting backwards. Yeah. Um, but I, I I gotta go with McKivitz as the better run blocker as of now. Um, and again, we just have to wait to see if 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 Moore is going to get that. But I don't think Moore will play on the right side. I think they go Matt Pryor, and he may be a tad bit better uh, in the run blocking because the Niners have to they have to run to the right side. Like I, the once the defense is figured out, oh, it's going the left side, left side, left side. Like the Niners like to spread. I was tired of seeing the reverses, like you know the fake reverses go to the left, and then they try to put the trickery to go to the right to get everybody going one way. But it will be cool to get some of them outside zone runs to the right side just to keep stretching that field, you know, east to west or horizontally, however you guys want to say it, because that's key. That's how you tire out that defense. That's how you keep confusing the defense. But as far as run blocking, it's got to be McKivitz right now. Yeah. If I was going to rank right tackle run blocking only, I'd go Matt Pryor, McKivitz, Jalen Moore. That would be my now if I'm doing pass blocking. 
It's McKivitz by a mile. Mile. That's crazy. That, I mean, that's just what he McKivitz brings two things. He brings attitude, got a couple of nice pancakes, late hits on some players, which was really, really cool, and pass protection. Now, yeah, I understand he gave up the pressures, played on that ankle. We'll see what that is. If he's injured, I I don't want McKivitz being a 75%. I'm going to go through it. He's not Trent Williams. 75% <laughs> of Trent is still greatness. 75% yeah. of McKivitz. I would take you put put the healthy Wayne back. Breezy out there. Put Wayne no, don't Breezy put me out there. there. I'll last a half a play. <laughs> but you could put the way my knees are set up now, man. It's not the same. But I do think Matt Pryor, if he's a hundred percent healthy, give me I mean, that, all the and then I'll live with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. We haven't heard much of like Matt Pryor in these conversations quite yet. Like I, I think I would. I'd kind of like the media to ask more about him and if he's an option uh, yeah. for right tackle. But the the unknown is is kind of hard to, you know, put in at right tackle, right? Everyone's seen Jalen Moore, so they're like, let's just move him over because we've seen what he looks like and it looks good. So I, I, and mean, I think that's one why. more thing before we move on from this. The Bucks are a weird team, but their number one strength is at two positions, wide receivers and defensive ends. And like yeah. that's their I, I strength. thought it was interior, not the that, interior. Actually, yeah. I mean, if Vita Vey is healthy, yes. If right. Kalisha Cansey, their their first rounder is healthy, yes, that hasn't been the case. Kid but Pitt. Shaq Barrett and Joe Tryon, I forgot that's about Shaq not Barrett. a bad that's a good tandem. Yeah, and it so was, it was good last year, and we torched that behind. That's hey, true. You, at the end of the day, like I trust Brock <laughs> at this at this point when it comes to playing this team. So I can't wait. I, I, I do want to touch on that. But before uh, we do that, Gammon has another question. It's for John. He said, what's it like to take shots with the inconvenient truth? What is everyone's drink of choice? Cheers. Um, yeah, John, you were kicking it with Frank Gore this weekend at your uh, your, your road trip uh jacksonville how was that oh it was i mean frank's the best he shows up and says awesome. can i just jump into the crowd like <laughs> he just jumps <laughs> right into the crowd like he's there for like 20 seconds he f signs everybody's autographs and he's like can i just hang out and watch the miami game yes frank gore you can hang out and let's watch some college football game right. together you can do anything uh, you want frank he's Come a on. 1942 guy which he deserves my favorite part of the night we're watching the game i'm talking to people frank's behind me and i hear wayne start yelling I hear Wayne going level 10 anger. I have no clue what's going on. I turn around. And I was like, is Wayne yelling at Frank Gore? It was, it was, it was excitement. <laughs> so listen, I didn't I, know I, you were there too, Wayne. I, I, he went level I, 10. Man. Okay. It was awesome. All right. So I did go super saiyan, but it was in a good way. Cause we were actually agreeing on something. So what, 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 what sparked the conversation, we were talking about, like, the key pieces. And you guys, I've been so advocate about Debo Samuel, Debo Samuel, Debo Samuel, Debo Samuel, right? And so he was talking about how it was Christian McCaffrey. And I was like, yo, Christian McCaffrey puts us over the top. He's that guy, right? He puts this offense. He's the closer on the offense. But we need the key to get the offense going. And I was like, Debo stretches the field. You know what I'm saying? He was like, what? stretches the field i was like yo horizontally think about it and then he hit me in the chest he was like you're right and then we started talking about like like we got to the physicality of the game and you guys know i'm 42 years old steph i've watched football when they literally would take your head off and you didn't know if your head was still in the helmet like that's how physical football used to be and then i thought about how physical it was when frank gore played and he started telling me like how he just didn't respect certain running backs in the game because you can't tackle them the same way blah 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 and then i got amped i got like super amped because i remember like football was just so physical and now we agreed that the game was soft so as loud as I was, it was more it of was an excitement awesome. that we were in agreement. It wasn't like we were about to box or something, which I wouldn't mind doing for one round. I think I could go one round with, with about anybody. Hey, like, wasn't he training to, to box? Though? I yeah. thought about asking him that night. but um, Oh, good God. Thank God you did not. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Scott, though, John. Scott was like, hilarious. Wayne. Yeah. I'm like, what? This is hey man, East Coast Wayne coming out at some point. Oh man, every single man. Trip, it's Frank was the best person yeah. I've met in a long time. Like you had to you had to understand like how chilled 
He oh, was. He was awesome. And then, like, he, he just doesn't get loud, but I just get loud, and he was cool. It was comic collected. It was so it was fun. It was perfect. That's that's awesome. I gotta I gotta get back to one of those road trips, or maybe <laughs> hey, we got Willis we'll coming yeah. out to Arizona. So, just okay. saying, just saying. Right. 49ersfirstroadtrip.com. Think about it. All right, all right. You guys heard it here first, right? So, uh, make those plans to get to Arizona. But going back to uh, what we were talking about before, the offensive line, and we were talking about, you know, Brock, like it doesn't really matter. Okay, I don't want to say it doesn't matter what line is in front of him because, like, it does. But Brock Purdy is going to be one of those guys who is going to be able to elevate his offensive line or at least mask what deficiencies they have, right? He's going to find a way to do more with less. And he's not often throwing from a clean pocket, but when he gets one, he has the highest EPA of any quarterback, as you guys can see from this chart here. Brock Purdy's uh, almost all by himself. Uh, CJ Stroud, close to him there. But he's at the top in EPA when throwing from a clean pocket. So, um, you know, he's he's going to make it happen regardless of the protection that's in front of him. But when he has good protection, it could be even better. So I, I do want to shift to Brock really quick because now we have a full 18-game sample size of him, and that, of course, is equivalent of a full season. We've been waiting for, for this moment for a while because uh, for a lot of, like, arguments about what Brock is, what he isn't, it's like, well, he hasn't even played, like, a full season yet. And now we finally have that. So let's look at these numbers here. He's uh, in 18 games as a starter. He's 286 uh of 420 attempts, blaze it, um, 68.1 completion percentage, 3,703 passing yards, 28 passing touchdowns, nine interceptions, 120 rushing yards, and three rushing touchdowns. If I was looking at this stat line about any quarterback, let's just say like it's not Brock Purdy, let's just say it's an anonymous, you know, I don't even know his name quarterback, and I was just looking at these stats. I would say, damn, that's a good quarterback right there. <laughs> like, damn, this is like 28 passing touchdowns, nine interceptions. Like, that's a that's a really good ratio right there. You're looking at the passing yards. Okay, that's very respectable. The completion percentage, all that. Knowing what we know now about Brock in 18 games, uh, the sample size of a full season, what are your thoughts on him now? I I just feel like my thoughts are the same as, as what they were, uh, Brock. I hate I hate the conversation of of being elite, but I've seen quarterbacks become elite after one season, and I just don't understand why Brock Purdy can't be in that same conversation when he's putting up consistent numbers. And I know football is a team sport; the team generally wins. And I don't care if he couldn't give us a comeback win or things like that. I mean, when the team is what the team needs to be. You know, every team goes through adversity, uh, and I don't hear them taking away certain, you know, stigmas about their quarterbacks because I've watched all season these elite quarterbacks that we've deemed to be elite look pretty damn average. And then I watch Brock Purdy come out there, and, you know, I don't think he gets enough credit because you just sat here and gave me a diagram of the clean pocket. I wish you would put up the diagram of the blitz pocket where he's still highly effective. And to me, that's eliteness. And so, no, we don't got to call him elite. Fine, you, whatever. But at the end of the day, the Brock is brocking. Like he's bro like he's literally <laughs> like out that. there playing high-level quality football. And the only look, – look, the only thing that – the only time he struggles – Honestly, in the game is when Debo's not out there because Debo is that key piece. But he still plays relatively Brock well. Now, if they're playing from behind, obviously he's got some learning to do. You know, Mike Martz, and I know a lot of people don't like him, and I get it. But he said, like, you know what we forget to factor in? That the kid is young and that he's still going through his second. Now he's entering his second season. And so I'm like, damn, that's right. He didn't play a lot of games. So I get why he doesn't get the elite conversation. But... He's going to make mistakes. The key is how does he learn from these mistakes? And we're seeing him do that. We're seeing him stay in the pocket. I think the touchdown to George Kittle in the Jacksonville Jaguars game 
had to be his greatest throw of all season, and it wasn't even a great throw. It was the fact that he stood in the pocket, and the reason why it wasn't a great throw was because he didn't have time to step into the pass. But guess what? The ball got there, and it ended up being a touchdown. And so it's just like, dang, like, this kid's got to get more credit for what he does do well, opposed to holding him, like, at King's Ransom for what he doesn't do well. Those things will come. Like, the comeback wins. I, I personally don't want to see comeback wins. Mm. I want to dominate every single game. But we'll get there. So I, I just think Brock is Brocking, and he's been Brocking. And even in those three losses, he was Brocking. Maybe Cleveland was his worst game of his whole career. Yeah. I, you put it together like this, you know, the first 18 games or however you want. Like, look, there's – it's not like mind – 5,000 yard passing second year for Mahomes. It's not, it's not that. However, if we put it into the 49ers perspective, 3,700 passing yards, that's top 10 single season all time for the 49ers. 28 passing touchdowns, top 10 all time for the single season 49ers. 68.1, that's top five. But then you look at his pass attempts, only 420 pass attempts, that's not even top 20. So the efficiency at which Brock is operating, how much of that is Shanahan, how much of that is the people around him, I don't give a damn. Jimmy Garoppolo could never do these things while he was here. Not that that's the, you know, what we're measured against, but it's what we have in this system with these weapons. Brock is doing it better than anybody else. And you talk about the mistakes, nine interceptions, that's incredible. I mean, he is past a you know basically a three to one touchdown to interception ratio that's mvp status shoot and he's only got room to grow now i understand the three game hiccup i get that and it wasn't even a three game hiccup he was great through the first three quarters of all three of those games and did enough to win the game against the browns at the very end he's learning and this kid's still young he's still young no pun intended yeah, there we go. Chase Young, what's up? Gotcha. Boom. Square. Um, I was thinking Steve Young, but you still oh. got me. Dude, I said square. That was two. <laughs> but no, nah, this is – they're great numbers. And whatever people want to move, the measuring stick, don't give a damn. He's playing better than – you cannot find three quarterbacks playing better than Brock Purdy right now in the NFL. That does not exist. I don't know if that's not a lead. I don't know what the hell is. I don't – I don't know either, but yeah, I mean, what do we want from Brock? You want what? What do you want? 400 yards a game? That's not this offense. Six for six, 20 yard passes. That's not this offense either, but he just did it against right. one of the, against the Jacksonville Jaguars that allowed the least, least amount of explosion plays. Oh my gosh. They're not oh even gosh. top 10 on that anymore because he just diced them up. Yeah. Yo, the crazy yeah. thing is two of those passes went to Kittle and the other four were to Brandon Ayuk. Like that's the funny part. Like he's still he's still finding ways to get the ball down the field. Doesn't care if it's the middle. One of his first passes was to the sticks, and we were just like, I mean, outside, and we were just like, did you see? Yeah. That laser. That was that Jawan Jennings one. Well, yeah. yeah I'm like, was, yo, it was this catch. It was incredible. I don't know how clean the pocket was on that one because I I didn't pay attention to the offensive. All I know is the kid's mindset is different, and it he. I hate to say he has that it factor, but that's what it is. And you can't teach that. Like, you either born with it or you're not. Yeah, and and I'm with you. Like, I actually had this conversation with Jay yesterday during the Bully Ball pod. And he kind of shared the same sentiment as you, John, where it's like, who cares? Like, who cares about where he ranks and, and all, you know, everyone has an opinion on Brock Purdy and all this stuff. but who cares what people think if, oh, like if you took away his weapons, he'd be this. Like, who cares? Because it doesn't matter. He is on the 49ers. Why do people keep trying to take him off of this team and see how he would perform uh, elsewhere, right? Like, we don't ever need to see that happen, right? The point is, even if he is benefiting from the weapons that he has, even if he is benefiting from Kyle Shanahan, the scheme and all that, it doesn't matter because he is still, even with all that, he is still – operating this offense at a level we haven't seen a quarterback operate it with Kyle Shanahan as the head coach here in San Francisco. So that in itself means that he is a good, better quarterback than we have seen Kyle Shanahan have here in San Francisco. Like that is just the fact. So like to, 
to move the goalposts, to argue about, oh, well, you know, when they're down, like he did this, like it doesn't matter. The point yeah. is the 49ers are winning games with him. And I know I'm, I'm not, this is not just a quarterback wins uh, argument because we know that in itself is flawed, but like, I, I don't care about what Brock Purdy is or isn't as long as the 49ers are winning games with him and or because of him. And I think they are winning games because of him too. And that's a huge difference. So I'm I'm excited for another full season sample size of Brock Purdy and like the rest of this year and how it's going to play out. We got to remember that Brock Purdy is evolving. He is growing. He is learning. And with that, this offense is going to continue to evolve. I think we've already seen it like since his first game as a starter to now, I think we've seen this offense evolve. We've seen Kyle Shanahan as a play caller evolve because he's more confident and, and more trustworthy of his quarterback and what he's able to do out there. I, I I've said it multiple times, but the fact that Kyle Shanahan called that play to George Kittle on a Second and inches, that's growth right there. Not just for Brock, but for Kyle Shanahan as well. Because we know damn well that would have been a run play. That would have been a quarterback sneak with any other quarterback that Kyle has ever had in San Francisco. But with Brock Purdy, he's going to call that play because Brock Purdy can do it. That's all I care about. I don't care about any of the other um, you know, arguments that people want to make. The, the goalposts move in. Who cares? Brock is our quarterback. I am happy about it. But let's shift to the defense now because there were some, you know, uh, some changes to the defense, a lot of them, right? And I do want to start with Chase Young because I think that we were all excited to see the impact that Chase Young would have on this defense. And I think we all acknowledged, you know, he wasn't going to be the silver bullet. He wasn't going to be able to fix everything for this defense. And he was just a part of one of the adjustments that were made during the bye week and all of that, right? But I, I do want to acknowledge that he had a pretty good game. And Wayne, I'm, I'm going to put this uh, tweet from you out about the 49ers defense as a whole. They finished the game with 16 total pressures against the Jags. They had five sacks, four hits, six hurries. And Chase Young, Nick Bosa, and Javon Hargrave accounted for 12 of the 16 total pressures. Those are good numbers right there. Those are good numbers. And I got to imagine that a good part of that had to do with Chase Young and his impact on the field. And it is good to see Bosa and Young together because they just, I don't know what it is, but they just got like this connection going on. You see it like on the sidelines when they're on the bench. You see it like on the field too. They combined for each. Eight pressures, uh, two sacks, a forced fumble and recovery, th three quarterback hits. Uh, I mean, this is just their first game together, right? So I think we're going to see more of this in the future. Maybe not all games look like this, but I think it is a sign of things to come, not just for Bosa, not just for Young, but the rest of the guys on this line. Javon Hargrave had a great game on Sunday. So I'm, I'm just excited uh, about – the impact that Chase Young brought. But when you guys watched the film of this game, what stood out to you the most about Chase Young's impact? Just his ability to be healthy on the field and require the offense to challenge him. Like, right? Because when you look at Chase Young being out there, he didn't start in this game. He was a rotative piece. And then when he comes in the game, he's fresh, he's powerful, he's quick. I think on his first play, that's when that sack, double sack, however you want to look at it, it kind of like bent out and happened. But look what Chase Young does. He's allowing our defensive coordinator to scheme a little bit differently. Okay? And what do I mean by that? So when Chase Young is out there on the football field, I think Wilk's number one job is to get those two edge pieces one-on-one. -on -one, right? I want my edges to have one-on-one -on -one matchups. And having Chase Young out there allows that to happen because if you don't, you're going to get sacked from those guys up in the middle. You forgot to mention Eric Armstead's name. It's 
funny how we're talking about Aaron. You forgot to mention the impact he had on this game. He had the game's had first game. sack, right? He did get injured, got banged up in this game, but his impact is different. Then you got him dropping back in the coverage. They rush three guys. He drops back. Looks like he's spying the quarterback. Good luck, Trevor Lawrence, who is a mobile quarterback, who would take up and run up the middle. Good luck trying to get past this level because I'm here waiting for you. And that have freed up and allowed guys to get their one-on-one -on -one matchup. So that's what Chase Young does. Like, there is you pick two means when that, that looks so want. good. Oh my gosh. I'm like, not the ad. Let me just take that off. Yeah, right. Cause they're not paying you. <laughs> but no, seriously, like you're going to get those one-on-one -on -one matchups. And that is going to allow the 49ers defensive front to feast, which will enable the secondary, which was the biggest change all season long. You start the season off with Ambry Thomas out there. He gets roasted and toasted and boasted. And next thing you know, you decide to make a change. You put Ambry Thomas back out here, switch Diamondra Lenore to play nickel. And I mean, the secondary overall just look better. And that is because you added the pressure up front. And what Steve Wilkes is going to be able to do to continue going forward is going to make the offenses have to, you know, change and, and shift things over to figure it out because they, what were they doing to us guys max protecting every time we tried to rush forward didn't work so they were max protect so then we would have to blitz and now they're blocking the blitzes more guys that so it changes things up just having chase young he's the changer yeah it, it it's funny because like if you just the feeling that everybody has on the pressure was like, oh, we broke the world. We broke the record in pressures this past week. We did it. Mm -mm. We had 16 pressures against the Jags total, right? You had 24 against the Bengals. You had 18 against the Vikings. So what's the difference? Sex. The difference is now you're finally finishing, and you've got to disrupt the quarterback, which did not happen against Joe Burrow and did not happen against Kirk Cousins, uh, RIP. But, like, I don't know. I, I think the difference that Chase brings is kind of like the power of two because teams were choosing to take away Bosa or Hargrave. Mm. And lately it's actually been Armstead even more so getting the most double teams, which is crazy to me. But now with two guys on the field, because you were rotating all the time, you just get Chase Young played 35 snaps out of 57. And you just have that one extra. So if Bosa was getting a pressure by himself, Joe Burrow would just step up. If Hargrave was getting a pressure by himself, Joe Burrow would just slide out. But now you've got that extra guy. So if now it's not just Bosa, now it's Bosa and Young. Now it's Hargrave and Young. Now, and, and it's just that one extra piece just set it over the top. It's the guacamole to my Chipotle order. That's what <laughs> Chase Young is, and it is delicious. I love that. But I do also want to acknowledge that it's it's not just the adjustment of having Chase Young out there, right? Like, mm -hmm. we know that. I mean, they were also disguising coverages. You know, one of the things, uh, John, that you had mentioned uh, was one of the issues in the past for this team, the addition of – well, not addition, but bringing in Ambry Thomas uh, to play on the outside. Uh, that puts Lenora in the slot, so you don't have Isaiah Oliver out there giving up easy passes – Though all of those things combined, I think, is what we saw on Sunday, you know, the results. So, I, yeah, it's a combination of things because Trevor Lawrence had to think just a little bit extra, like, oh, like, what what are they doing? Oh, my guy isn't open because it's Lenore and it's not Isaiah Oliver. Uh, you know, just those half a second even of mm -hmm. extra thought is all it takes sometimes to get that sack to get, you know, or force an errant throw even, you know. So um, I'm glad to see that because, yeah, we were talking about all the pressures, but they weren't amounting to anything. And that was a frustrating part. So now if you could just get the quarterback to think a little more, to hesitate a little bit more, that's all it takes. Because how many times in during the losing streak or at any point this season, how many times did we see Nick Bosa or someone else on this line get so close and, you know, it just within a second, like the quarterback is able to get the ball out and complete the pass. Right. We saw that like a number of times now. I mean, in this game, it's again, it's small sample size. Right. But I can assume if they continue to do this, it's going to be more of the same for, you know, weeks to come. You're going to see that the defensive line is actually going to able they're going to be able to get home because, you know, 
quarterback's going to be hesitating a little bit more. And that's really all it takes. It's it's about complementary football. And that's what was missing out of this defense. So, um, yeah, uh, just wanted to give a little shameless plug. I I did the uh, video of all of Chase Young's snaps. And that's what you guys were seeing here for a bit. So um, check that out on my channel after this, if you would be so kind. But I do want to talk about Ambry Thomas because – I know you mentioned him, Wayne, and that certainly, of course, was one of the big adjustments that we saw coming out of this bye week. Definitely wasn't on our bingo card. Like, I, we, weren't we talking about him, like, just last week? Like, no, he's not the answer. Like, no, that's, that's not going to happen. Dante Johnson, maybe he could, <laughs> maybe he could be the guy. Um, but Amber Thomas played a great game. Like, I was, I was definitely impressed. 82.3 PFF grade. Only 14 yards allowed, forcing completion, no touchdowns. He had the the strip uh, tackle and could have been a touchdown if you know guys weren't acting goofy on the sideline. But Ambry Thomas, like, could we see more of this going forward? Like, have we seen the last of Isaiah Oliver? I think it's a matchup thing, right? So when you look at who the Jacksonville Jaguars could have possibly used in the slot. Um, it was going to be those quick twitch type of wide receivers, and they trusted Diamador Lenore to 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 deal with that, right? The Christian Kirks, the the Calvin Ridley's, maybe some of the Zay Jones, who's more of a bigger receiver, but they don't have big guys. They don't have big body wide receivers that you have to worry about. Now next week, now you're playing Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, like some bigger dudes, right? So it's I think it's a matchup thing with Isaiah Oliver. And maybe this is a wake-up call for Isaiah Oliver because Isaiah Oliver, in my opinion, though he struggles in the slot, which Diamador Lenore did as well, like, I mean, just in space, he's probably the best tackling, one of the best tackling DBs we have on this team. And so I don't think it's the end of Isaiah Oliver. I think uh, if we were pay- if we were paying if we were paying attention or at least listening to defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes, he came out and said that there would be some matchups that he would favor these guys in. And so for Ambry Thomas, he played a, a great game, um, but I like the way that they utilized him. I thought schematically he was there as far as more, instead of playing off ball, he um, off the man, he was more press man. Uh, he was able to jam the receiver. He gave up zero yards after the catch. I think that's huge. Uh, and that allowed him to force the fumble. Amory Thomas is more of an up-close and personal. When you give him space, he's going to get beat on double moves. He gets confused where he has to go. And I think that's the adjustment, not only inserting Ambry Thomas, but the way they chose to utilize Ambry Thomas. I thought that was a key adjustment for Coach Wilkes. I've been asking if you're going to use Ambry Thomas for the past three years, just let him play up close. Let him try to jam the receiver. He's quick enough to get back, even though he looked slow on that uh, fumble return. He was he was out of gas. But he's quick enough to get back to not get beat deep when he's playing and he's trying to jam the receiver from the line of scrimmage. It's when he has to play and giving up too much space. So kudos to Ambry Thomas. Will we see that next week? Possibly. We saw this happen two, three years ago, three years ago, excuse me, Ambry Thomas's rookie season where they had to use him because they drafted him and we just struggled. He struggled. And then all of a sudden the second half of the season happened and he flipped a switch. So we'll see what happens. I, I think the thing that makes me the most excited about Ambry and Wilkes, because let, let's be honest, who's gotten the most criticism this year from the 49ers is Wilkes. You make this adjustment and you protect Ambry. He did such a damn good job of not leaving Ambry on the cover three island. Instead, yeah. Charvarius Ward was left by that himself with, you know, level 10 degree of difficulty all game. And Charvarius Ward answered the damn call. We pay him to answer that call. He's Bingo. our best corner. Let him do that. So we know what Ambry's shortcomings are. Double moves, deep, all that stuff. So what did Wilkes do? He ran a lot of cover six, rotated over. He ran a lot of quarters, giving him smaller things to cover. He kept him up with the number cover two over the top. Like it was just smart, designed football by Steve Wilkes. And so if you can get that, cerebral kind of combination there. I love that. Now, the problem is, this is the first time we put it on tape. So if I'm an opposing OC and I see Ambry Thomas coming out there versus 11 personnel, I know number seven, Charvarius Ward, going to be one-on-one on an island. That's what I want to see how this is going to hold up because you can do this in the NFL. 
once it's on tape, you can start to diagnose that. But uh, again, my favorite thing with Ambry, zero yards after the catch allowed. He played tight. He played aggressive. I love it. I don't think that this is the end of Isaiah Oliver. He will be back out there as well. But man, got to give credit to Ambry. Got to give credit to Wilkes. You know, and if you're one of those people that's just been like, Wilkes is the problem. Wilkes is the problem. Either keep that same energy or at least give props to what just we just saw because we've seen six amazing games by the defense and we've seen one and a half bad games by the defense. So make sure you're consistent because we still have a top three defense and we've allowed less yards than the 49ers offense has gained all year. So put it all into perspective, please. Yeah, and I know a lot of people, uh, a lot of fans think like this is the end of Isaiah Oliver, but Kyle Shanahan was asked if he does have a long-term plan at the cornerback position. And he said, quote, I think Isaiah played some real good ball for us this year too. So we've got some options. It all depends on who we're playing and we'll see how this settles, but we're looking into it each week. So, you know, again, just kind of what they said at the beginning of the year, it's going to be a matchup thing. It's going to be a week to week thing. Although they did say that at the beginning of the year, but then it was after like the first game or two, it was all Isaiah Oliver. So was that, really a matchup thing or did they not trust uh you know ambry at that time i don't know uh well you don't win the rams game without oliver like people keep forgetting that dude had the three biggest plays in the second half that was like that was a close game till oliver stepped in and made all those plays he was terrible first half but in the second half like that dude dominated and that was the difference in the game so it's an ebb and flow and we've written off ambry thomas so many times yet here he is and so you don't want to do the same thing to Isaiah Oliver either. I think the the issue I'm having is that both of these guys are inconsistent. <laughs> and like we've seen this from Ambry Thomas before where he'll have a really good game and, you know, you feel good about it. You're like, OK, OK, we got something here. And then, you know, he gets in these stretches where he's he's not as great. Right. So. I think we've kind of seen the same out of Isaiah Oliver. You know, I don't know if the back and forth thing maybe could help them because it brings, it kind of challenges them. Like, okay, you didn't play last week. Let's see how you do this week kind of thing. Or you you saw how Oliver played last week, or you saw how Ambry played last week. Let's see if you can uh, match that energy this week, right? (laughs) Like kind of thing. I don't know. Uh, Maybe it could be positive and bring out some more consistency out of one of them. I don't know, but yeah, it seems like they're, they're at least going to try to do a week to week thing. Uh, but interesting to see how that, you know, moves forward. But I do want to talk about some improvements that maybe the 49ers could still make. And Wayne had this great tweet about it. He said, these are three areas the 49ers still need to improve to remain dominant in the NFL. And we know they got to be dominant in the second half of this season. So number one, third down, they were 33% uh, on third down conversions against the Jags. Number two was missed tackles. They had seven missed tackles, Uh, three penalties. They had seven penalties for 90 yards. Um, So uh, a bit to unpack here. So like the third downs, I was actually surprised to see that because in my mind watching the game, I was like, you know, the offense is rolling. Like they look good. They're scoring all these points. And then you look at the numbers and they were, I think their third down numbers were the same as the Jacks as far yeah. as like the conversions go. So I was surprised to see that. Definitely something you want to see improve in other games, uh, in future games for sure. The missed tackles, seven missed tackles. I'm bummed to see that continue. But at the same time, it was an improvement at least from the previous few weeks. So maybe it's one of those things that they need to you know, incrementally improve on because uh, I had the numbers pulled up. So uh, in at Cleveland, they had 10 missed tackles, Minnesota 9, Cincy 13. So seven is an improvement, right? Right. Like Absolutely. Absolutely an improvement. Absolutely. Dallas, they had two. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that was their – that's still yeah. been their best game all season. That's, so. that's bananas. That, I mean, Chris McCaffrey does that in a play, let's be honest. Right. Okay. Uh, but but a lot. But there's context here, and I, I, I don't put the context out there uh, as much because uh, I want to create the conversation and, and things like that. But when you look at the missed tackles, I mean, let's look at the screenplays because that's where a lot of these missed tackles happen, right? Mm-hmm. Guys just flying off, bumping off, trying to arm tackle. Uh, but three of those missed tackles came from cornerback position, Deion Madrilla-Lenore. 
Uh, no one wants to talk about it, but he has to rap and tackle. I mean, trying to hit the guy, he's not the biggest DB out there to probably lay a boom. And so these receivers are tough, big, strong, and, and whatever. He's got to rap and tackle because I felt like on the passes that he gave up, the completions that he allowed, he was right there. So if he can just rap and tackle, then you get rid of those yards after the catch, right? And so then you don't have a missed tackle. Giving up a completion is totally different from a missed tackle. And so that has to improve. They have to be tighter. Now, it, it was kind of like his real first stint of playing the majority of his snaps at the nickelback position. So he gets a little a little leeway there, but he has to be better. And as far as that third down uh, conversion percentage, you know, Steph and John, when you, when you go back and rewatch the game or you rewatch the film, them third downs – in the in the red zone oh my god like they they resulted in six points but you get penalties there and next thing you know you're kicking a field goal opposed to getting a touchdown because you can't convert a third and 35 or whatever like that has to stop the niners put themselves in those predicaments they can be a lot better on third down so they they that that's a must they they should be dominated it was one week they were like they finished what 75 percent, 80 percent on third down i can't remember mm -hmm. what it was they can be that team. They just have to stop putting themselves in the hole, which is why I put penalties as the number three because there were some crucial penalties that allowed them to get into those third down predicaments. Yeah, and you know a lot of the things you brought up, Wayne, is just kind of like complimentary football, which the Niners are either red hot or ice cold at, and we saw that in this game twice. You know, you score before the half, you go out score in the second half, then get a turnover. And so, like, offense is hitting, defense forces a turnover, and then what happens to the offense? Goes ice cold. And so points off turnovers, that's a huge issue for me. Um, but we've seen it. And this 49ers de defense and offense, when they're both playing, they're the best in the NFL. If the 49ers are playing their best defense, they're the best defense in the NFL. If the 49ers are playing their best at offense, they are the best offense in the NFL. But one of my favorite D'Amico sayings of all time is consistency is the truest measure of greatness. And that's what this team should be. We just got to get the hell out of our own way. And you can go back to the Vikings games, Bengals games, Browns game, whatever. Yeah, we lost. And credit to those teams. We lost because the 49ers were not the 49ers. You get on par with yourself and you take care of your business with this talent and this coaching staff, everything else should be damned. And that's what has to be fixed on the inside. You talked about it, Steph, with Isaiah Oliver. We've talked about it earlier with Burford. We talked about it with McKivitz. We've talked about it with Demo. We talked about it with Oliver. Every NFL team in the salary cap era is going to have these five to six guys that have to play above their pay grade to be great. We, as a co the coaching staffs, got to get them on point and consistently on point if you want to have all those awards and bowls and rings and playoff wins and all that stuff. That's what's going to keep this team from being great. But it's up to them. Yeah, and I think uh, they got the wake-up call, right? They they needed that bye week, too, to kind of, like, snap out of it because we were thinking it was just going to be a one-game thing and that was going to be enough for a wake-up call, but they kind of just, like, got into this weird slump. And so the the bye week was timed perfectly. Thank you, NFL, uh, for that because if they didn't have that, I don't know how long this, this could have potentially lasted. So I'm glad they got all their adjustments. But do you expect that going into uh, this game against Tampa Bay now, you expect that we see some of these things continue? Some of these things that we that Wayne you outlined, do you expect some of those things to continue to improve? Uh, can they keep it up against this Bucks team? Yeah, I think the one thing that I when I put that statement out, like as long as they're trending upwards. So mm -hmm. if they go, you know, four for 11 or, or five for as long as the percentage creeps up in its way, that means that they're working to get better towards some of those goals. Uh, but now you're playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who is, they're a weird team, right? With with weapons, right? All of a sudden they figured out how to run the ball. So you know what the Niners have to do? Take away the run. Stop the run. Everything else will fall into place. The Niners defense 
stopped the run. They stopped one of the best running backs in the NFL and comparable to a guy like Christian McCaffrey, and they were able to run the ball on that te- that defense. So I expect the Niners to come out with the same game plan. If you want to know what my keys to victory, let me give you two. Stop the run and run the damn ball. doesn't matter how you run it. Just run the ball. But they, they got to take away the run. Force Baker Mayfield to be one-dimensional. We all know what that's going to be, and he won't have just one Buckeye coming after him. He'll have two Buckeyes coming after him in the same damn game. This is going to be something fun to watch. I hope everybody gets a chance to witness a dynasty like none other. I will say this. I would like the uh, records to recognize and write down positive things said by Wayne Breezy to the Buckeye organization on this day, 11th, uh, the 15th of November. Uh, just uh, let, Let's just recognize this just took place. Ah, you're crazy. <laughs> well, um, what, did I give him some positivity? Did I? You just, you talked about Buckeyes in a positive way. You even said Buckeyes. I did. That, so that, I'm just saying. That's right. That's where's right. Where's Peachy when you need her? She's I don't this know. Show. It's the first <laughs> and last time. You earlier. Yeah. <laughs> it's on record. Yeah, we got it. Got you. Damn. <laughs> I'm <laughs> slipping, falling. Oh, man. That's awesome. But I agree. I th- I think, uh, you know, obviously the trenches is a huge thing. And the trenches allow you, if you're on your game, you stop the run and you're able to run the football. That's where the best football is played for any team, really. And so I think that's a, a key for them in this game. Rashad White is really good. He's kind of like emerged as a big focal point of their offense and someone that Baker Mayfield, I think, leans on a bit. Even if the 49ers are able to stop him on the ground, watch out because he does also contribute out of the backfield too. He can he can catch one of the best. So um, something to keep an eye on. Watch out for those screens. That's where we don't want to see those missed tackles and things like that. So. Watch out for that. I, But I think, you know, this should be a game that they could win because as we've been saying, if the 49ers play their best football, they can beat anyone. They could. Like, that's how good they are. They just have to be consistent. They just have to be on their game. So let's see if they can stand on business on Sunday and get another win for us because after that, it's a really, really tough stretch uh, for the 49ers. So they got to get this win. And they owe us. I'm sorry. They owe us. Yeah, because we're home. They yeah. laid an egg at home the last time. I don't see the 49ers laying an egg at home. And when I say egg, I don't mean zero points. I mean, they they, they literally beat themselves at home. Like John said it best. They, they have to stop beating themselves. I think the 49ers are out of that slump, out of that trance. They are going to be, it's going to be guns blazing. They're back at home. They're going to get their fans at home. And they're not going to let anybody come into their home again and do what the Cincinnati Bengals did. You know, the, the NFL is a matchup league, and there's ways to beat the 49ers, and we have seen those put on display with a strong run game. Don't turn the ball over. You have a quarterback that doesn't mind pressure, all of those things. You look at this Bucks team, and you look at last year, it's not a good matchup for them on offense or defense, and they had Tom Brady the last time we played them, and it still was a smoke show. Uh, Baker Mayfield is... A lot of things, but he's never been compared to Tom Brady, nor should he ever be. Um, and so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And the NFL's been weird this year, but this is not a positive matchup game. I remember whenever I ranked one through sixteen or one through seventeen, the most difficult games. This was one of the three easiest games on the 49ers schedule on paper before that. I know that they're only a half game out of first place of their division, but it still isn't one of the relatively easier games. But Like I said earlier, Niners got to do their own thing. And if they don't, you allow a team like this to hang around that has a lot to play for, we'll see what happens. But the Niners have the motivation. They're coming home. This is the last home game this month. You got back-to-back road games after this. You got to take care of business. Yep, they got to do it. All right, well – Appreciate you guys tuning in for the show. It was a really fun one. Loved all the comments from you guys. Make sure you like this video. Make sure you subscribe, not just to my channel, but John and Wayne's as well. And, you know, uh, I I do have a couple of questions in the chat that I wanted to get to really quick. Uncle Salty asks, are you coming to Seattle, Steph? We need the whole crew here. I'm not going to Seattle, but I plan to go to the December 10th game 
at Levi's when we play Seattle. So if you're going to that one, Salty, I'll see you out there. Gammon asks, what microphones are you using? Are they USB? Um, Gammon, uh, this one is a blue bottle mic. I don't remember. I think that's the actual model, but it's a blue mic. Um, highly recommend. It's not really like a podcasting mic, quite honestly, because I used to do music, right? But uh, it, it works just fine. And what, what mics are you guys using? I got the Shure SM7B. Yeah. yeah, that's what I use. My I like Wayne's the most. Well, I mean, your mic is standard studio mic. John has the Michael Jackson mic where they recorded the the Thriller album with, and I have the actual podcast version, the Shure MV7 of that mic. So it can be used in the same way with an audio uh, microphone XLR cable, or you can use the USB. So you have the two options. So yeah, that's what we're using. As far as yeah, software, just Elgato. That's what I rock with. Yep. Yeah, I don't have anything special in terms of software. I have Elgato. I gotta, I gotta put my little sounds on there um, yeah. and make make it really fun. But I don't have that yet. Uh, and salty, I'm I coming just... though. I want to see you, salty. I saw you in the chat. Play the church music Sam before we get out of here, Wayne. The they're not ready for the praise break. They, they're not ready because we, we turned this is up. All Wayne ever wanted right here. That's all they get. That's all they get. That's all they get. That's all, all they right, get. Well, again, uh, appreciate all of you guys. Make sure you like this video. Make sure you subscribe to all three of our channels. But for now, have a good Wednesday, folks. Peace.